0: You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for his glory. It's a great uh, joy and privilege to be back in CLM and Coventry, soon to be European Capital of Culture. Come on. (laughs) rock and roll, well done. Uh, so, so there we are. And I, as I said, I, I, I really believe that that can be something prophetic, that God can be positioning even this church and the kingdom of God for something in the, in the days, the years to come. And, and I would encourage you not just to see that as some decision made by a group of organizers or bureaucrats, but actually this is, this is the hand of God. And God has something special for Coventry. And actually, if, if we're up for that, then I believe we can do something amazing. It's a great joy to be with you. Thank you to Martin and Esther and the team for, again, your continued invitation and trust. I do love coming here, and it just feels like home, really. So thank you for that. And it's wonderful to have Dawn with me, my wife. She gets to travel with me occasionally, uh, which is great. Uh, we've left our two youngest at home, so Simeon's working today. And Beth Ann, she's involved in various uh, ministry activity in one church, so we hope and pray the house will still be in one piece uh, when we get home today. Uh, But we send also greetings to you from one church, which is the church we're a part of. Simon and Ali Jarvis, who are the senior leaders, send their greetings to the whole church, to Martin and to Esther especially. And uh, our hearts are knit together. So thank you so much for for allowing me to be with you. As Pastor Martin said, uh, I had come very, very specifically with something prepared for today. Got lovely keynotes and everything. Worked on nice pictures to show you and keep you interested. And all of that in line with something about Jesus and the Gospels. But uh, as we were worshiping in the first service, God was just speaking. And I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit to say, I want you to change this, and I want, it's what I want you to speak on. Now, I'm a teacher, uh, and, uh, and teachers need to be convinced to change their mind on certain things. And so I said to the Holy Spirit, you know, imagine someone like me saying this to God. I said to the Holy Spirit, you just need to speak to me. You need to give me a bit of a sign uh, to change my sermon. How, how audacious is that? Isn't that terrible? And so I said to God, please help me. And just at that moment, Esther got up and shared from Habakkuk, where she talked about rejoicing in the waiting. And uh, it was the Holy Spirit said, see, I told you. Uh, and so, so uh, right there, and then we changed it, and we just feel it's the right thing uh, to do this morning. Is that okay? Yeah. Uh, and that's hope and pray God will speak. So if you've got a Bible with you, and you would like to follow a reading, I'm going to read from the book of Acts chapter 16. Now, while you're finding that and looking for that, let me give you a little bit of context For that, a man called Paul with one of his team members, Silas, and Dr. Luke, and probably a few others, are out planting churches. As they're planting churches, the plan was they were going to move north on the map and then probably go back in a circle back west. As they try to move north, the Holy Spirit stops them. They have the good sense to listen to the Holy Spirit, and instead of going north and west, they end up going east. They stop at a place called Troas, and in Troas, God speaks to them. They see a vision, and they receive what sometimes is referred to as the Macedonian call. And so Paul and Silas and team head across uh, the, the, the ocean, and they end up in what really we would describe today as Europe. And so they uh, minister in a different, uh, different cities, and they end up in a city called Philippi. A lady becomes a follower of Jesus there called Lydia, a very successful businesswoman. And she immediately opens up her home. She becomes the first European convert on the record. And she opens up her home. She's very wealthy. And the church at Philippi gets planted, essentially, in that context. While Paul's in the city... He is confronted with a young woman who's demonized, and part of her gift is she's able to sort of tell fortunes, as it were, and a whole group of business people are making a fortune off the back of her. And so Paul casts this demon out of this girl. As a result, of course, the business community are very annoyed, and long story short, they end up turning on Paul and Silas, and this is the moment we pick up the story. Is that okay? So uh, Acts chapter 16, I'll start to read from verse 22. And it says this The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling. Before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them. "'into his house and set a meal before them, "'and he was filled with joy "'because he had come to believe in God, "'he and his whole family. "'When it was daylight, "'the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer "'with the order, release those men. "'The jailer told Paul, "'The magistrates have ordered "'that you and Silas be released. "'Now you can leave. "'Go in peace.' "'But Paul said to the officers, "'They beat us publicly without a trial. "'Even though we are Roman citizens "'and they threw us into prison,' And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. A bit, of a bit of an Irishman in Paul there. I think he's spoiling for a fight. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and Encourage them. Then they left. Wow, what a story. It, it, I, I don't think it's, a, it's too much of a stretch to say that this is one of the greatest worship seminars on record. I, I've been to many wonderful settings where I've been able to worship God, this, this being one of them, an amazing setting this morning, this afternoon, I've been to wonderful worship seminars. I've been in places where I've been instructed theologically about what worship is and how to do it. And yet, actually, um, we need go no further than to see the power of worship and praise in the context of really challenging and difficult circumstances. And actually, it's easy to look at this story and think, well, that's Paul. He's a bit of a superman Christian. That's Silas. He's clearly like, like Paul, and therefore somehow they're better than me. But actually, the wonderful thing about this story is, even though it happened 2,000 years ago, it has relevance to me and you in our ordinary and everyday experiences. Paul had done nothing wrong to be put in prison. In fact, he had done everything right. He had responded to the word of the Lord. He had obeyed Jesus to the letter, and he had actually delivered a young woman from a demon, and yet he ends up in a prison. He ends up in an inner cell of the prison. He ends up with Silas with his feet in the stocks. And it's your reaction at those moments which will determine so much. You know, God wants to do things in our lives, and we all say amen to that. But I have discovered as a follower of Jesus, it's sometimes my response in certain moments that create God-opportunities, Pastor Martin said it right at the beginning. He said, you know, God wants to do something among us, but his language was uh, God wants us to posture ourselves, position ourselves so that God can do something among us. And and what we see Paul and Silas doing here is positioning themselves. Not literally because they're stuck, but they're positioning themselves spiritually. And, of course, God does something absolutely amazing. I want want you to see some detail in the the passage, which is really important, and really at the heart of the one big thing I want you to get here uh, before you leave. Verse 25 of chapter 16, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now note that very specific time is given at midnight. And then it says this, 10 verses later, it says this, when it was daylight, the magistrate's sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. Verse 25, midnight. Verse 35, daylight. Here's what I want you to hear. If you forget everything else to say, grab this one idea, and it's this. that Paul and Silas teach us we can be free before we get released. We can be free before we get released. They were free six or seven hours. Before they walked out of the prison. Come on. And, and actually, that's a that's I, I think that's a Premier League spiritual principle. I think that, I think that principle is really calling us to something that's counterintuitive. It's beyond our normal human logic. That, that actually, as human beings, we look for the release. We look for the moment when the The click of the door happens, and somebody swings the door open, and we walk out, and we, yes, we're free, we're released. But actually, there is a principle over and over in the Scriptures, and Esther brought it to us powerfully from the book of Habakkuk, that you can be free before you get the physical release. Though the fig tree does not blossom, yet, 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 yet I will rejoice. In the Lord. You see that? That's that moment. Habakkuk is free, but the fig tree still hasn't blossomed. He's living in something that defies the logic of this moment. That's what Paul and Silas are doing here. And it's dead easy to look at them and think, well, they're supermen. No, no, they're just ordinary men, ordinary people. But they've discovered something, they've discovered a supernatural principle. That if I can lift myself to God and allow God to enter into the prison cell with me, I can experience freedom before I get physical release from that situation. What an amazing idea that is. Now, we're not minimizing the prison. So don't hear that. Uh, We're not minimizing the fact that they got a bit of a beating. We're not minimizing any of that. This is all real and we'll look at this in a moment. We're not minimizing anyone's pain in this congregation or the challenge that you are going through. But here's what we're saying. It is possible to get free in that situation before you're released from that situation. It's possible, can I say this without offending anybody, to be free and sick at the same time. It is possible to be free and unemployed at the same time. It is possible to be free and yet be facing a circumstance that you really don't like. It is possible to be free before you're released. This is what is happening to Paul and Silas. And actually within this, we discover this practice of praise. Can I say this? Sometimes we have to tell our mouth what to say. If our mouth followed what we're experiencing, all sorts of weirdness will come out of our mouths. Is that true? Sometimes we have to tell our mouth what to say. That's the practice of praise. It's not, that's not being a hypocrite. It's not being two-faced. That's, that's me and you going back to something more than the prison, going back to something more than the bruises or the pain. We're going beyond the moment we're in, and we're grabbing a hold of something that is supernatural. And we're making our mouths say something that our circumstances do not connect to. But what our mouth is saying is more true than the circumstances we're in. Now, I know we can get weird on that, and I don't want anybody to get weird. Paul and Silas aren't weird, but they make a decision. They practice praise. I've been a follower of Jesus since I was eight years old, and I'm having to learn to do this more and more and more. I'm understanding there is a moment where I will be carried by the atmosphere, I will be carried by the environment, I'll be carried by a brilliant band, I'll be carried by a man of God or a woman of God, and, and it's just, whoa, you flow just flowing. The... But then there are other moments where none of that's there, and I've got to make my mouth say the right thing. Now, now we've had an amazing time today in both services. I've been in the worship time of both services, and, and let me say this with all the love in my heart to you, and please don't be offended by what I'm about to say, Right? Let me say this, that if you didn't worship the Lord this morning, if you didn't praise God today, it wasn't their fault. Come on, look at me. The baby's cool. Just keep looking at me. She'll be fine. All right? If you didn't do it this morning, it wasn't their fault. This environment has been created for you. To help me and you in the midst of the everyday grungy, in-your-face life that we're all contending with, this team, uh, Martin and Esther, and the team have worked incredibly hard to create an environment for you that, can I say this lovingly, makes it easy for you, or as easy as possible, to praise the Lord. So, with with this incredible building. With this amazing band, with fantastic team serving you with a smile on their face from the minute you hit the car park to the minute you get in this auditorium. If you didn't praise the Lord, it's not their fault. Don't be blaming them now. Don't, Don't say, well, I didn't enjoy the worship because the worship wasn't for you. The worship was for Him. Come on. It's not for us. It's for Him. So if I didn't enter in this morning, it wasn't... Martin's fault, and Esther's fault, or Jonathan's fault, or the worship, it was my fault. And sometimes as Christians, we have to just accept that. Still love me? Some of you are wishing I'd done the other sermon, right? (laughs) So in this practice of praise, what do we learn? From the text, I think there's some gorgeous detail, which I hope will help you and empower you in your journey. Here's the first thing we learn. In the practice of praise that Paul and Silas engage in, they place God over self. So if you want to be free before you're released, we've got to learn to place God over self. Look at the detail of the text. Verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, it's Dr. Luke writing this story. Dr. Luke knows who they're singing to. It would have been the easiest thing in the world for Dr. Luke just to leave that little last bit out to God. Because he knows who they're singing to. And by implication, if we've read the whole story, we'll know who they're singing to. But he doesn't want to leave anything to chance. Dr. Luke wants you to get it. It's not singing that sets you free, it's singing to God that sets you free. It's not prayer that sets you free. It's praying to God that sets you free. He literally leaves that lovely bit of detail in because he wants us to understand. Everyone in that prison cell knew who they were singing to. They weren't just singing songs. They were singing praise. It can be a difference. And actually, in, in the moments of our lives, the challenges of our lives, one of the things the devil wants to shut down in you is praise to God. He doesn't care what comes out of your mouth as long as it's not praise to him. You, can, you and I can moan and groan and do anything we want, but, but he fears when followers of Jesus with their feet in the stocks open their mouths and sing praise to God. It is an irresistible force that he is terrified with because he wants to change your song. And those are the moments we've got to dig into the song and sing the song of the Lord. Later on, Paul would write to this church. This church had just got planted in Philippi. He would write to them a number of years later, and he would say this to them, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. just the irony of this is unmissable, that, that Paul is writing to a church about rejoicing always, having sat in a prison in that city and proved that he could do what he was teaching. But secondly, some of you will know this, when he writes to Philippi later on, he's writing from another prison. So he writes the letter to the church at Philippi from prison. And the echo of the prison experience in that letter is unmissable. Everyone in Philippi would get that. Because Paul has credibility now. He can stand up in front of any group of people and say, come on, whatever your circumstance, rejoice. And no one in Philippi is going to give him pushback. Why? Because when he was bleeding and bruised and broken and his feet were in the stocks in the inner cell... He sang Praise to God. (laughs) Come on. You see, the practice of praise puts God over self. And that's an important spiritual weapon for each one of us. Uh, May 2015, Don and I took a telephone call, which sort of changed our lives. Uh, Our our son, uh, we have three children. Elena's 24, Simeon, now 20, about to turn 21. And Beth Ann, who's 16, uh, our our son, our middle child, he telephoned us to say that he had been arrested and that um, he had been charged with a very, very serious crime. Uh, Now, to be fair to him, from the very beginning, he protested his innocence, but the issue was that if he was found guilty of this crime, he would go to jail for seven years. Now, that wasn't in the plan. When he was born and I lifted him up to God, the first human to really hold him, and I held him to God and offered him to God. God gave me promises about him in his mother's womb, and God spoke words, and, and I spoke words that day. This, this was not, Lord, you know, let him go to prison. No, no, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't in my plan. And, and so people around us said, look, this will probably go away. There's no real evidence at all. This is an accusation. His word against someone else's word. It'll, it'll probably disappear. And it didn't. It kept going. And 18 months later, we sat in Birmingham Crown Court with the future of my son's life in the hands of 12 jurors of, of his peers terrifying experience. I spent my 50th birthday in court. Happy birthday, Dad. I remember my kid saying to me when I was 48, Dad, we want your 50th to be special. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thanks for that. Okay, yeah. I can say with absolute fear, without fear of contradiction, I will never forget my 50th birthday. I spent it in crown court. My kid said to me when I was about to turn 51, what do you want for your birthday? I said, a boring day, a quiet day. Let's have a miserably boring day. Let's not do anything too exciting. Let's just get up, breathe in and out, go to bed. All right? And when that happened, I went to the Lord and I said, Lord, I need a word from you. Because that's how I'd been trained. That's how I'd been discipled. You go to God, you get the Word, you hold on to the Word, and that no matter what happens, you hold on to that. And I went to the Lord. Now, here's the Word I wanted. I wanted the Lord to tell me that the SAS angelic team were on the way. That right now they were abseiling down out of heaven, and they were going to rescue us, and it was all going to just disappear, and everything was going to be marvelous. And He didn't give me that Word. Instead, He directed me to Psalm 34, and Psalm 34 became my daily confession in the 18 months of the journey. And here's how Psalm 34 begins. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always or continually be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. He goes on to say, glorify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. You see, that's not what I wanted. But that's what I got. And when you ask the Lord for a word and he gives you a word, then that word's for a reason. Even if you don't like what he gives you. I mean, we can't have our cake and eat it on this. If you ask God for a word and he gives you a word and you don't like, it's not lucky dip. You know, you can't have another go. It's okay, this is the word. And so even though it wasn't really what I wanted, I grabbed it. And so, and I realized into the journey why this word had been given to me because literally every day I had to fight to praise the Lord. So so I I would get up in the morning, generally between half five and six, and and sort of head for my devotions and my, my dressing gowns hanging on the back of the door. I get up out of bed. Just getting from my bed to the door was a fight. Every step down the stairs was a fact. I'd love to be able to tell you that Gabriel was waiting for me with my first coffee of the day. That angels sat in the corner and slowly and quietly played the harp while I came into the living room to do my devotions. None of that. In fact, there were days I woke up I felt nothing but fear. And I had a decision in those moments. What am I going to do? And everything within me wanted to put self over God. But Psalm 34 was telling me, put me over self. Put God over self. This is what God was saying. Put me over self. Put me over your circumstances. Keep lifting your eyes up to me. My goodness, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I just think that's a, that's a Premier League Christian principle. That, that in the moments when everything within us wants to look in and look at ourselves, God says, look up. Look up, look up. Now, I'd love to tell you, as I looked up, everything changed around me, and it didn't. In fact, many times, it got worse. So the physicality of my experience, our experience as a family, was getting worse sometimes, and yet God kept saying, I will extol the Lord at all times. Keep lifting me up. And there's a principle there of finding freedom before you get released. Some of you are in that right now. and yeah. uh, Here's the thing. If you wait till you're released to praise the Lord, mm-hmm. you're going to be robbed of a victory right now. Yeah. And the enemy will take things from you more than the circumstance you're in right now. He will rob you of something. And God wants you to press into something that doesn't make logical sense. It does not make sense. God is good, Paul sings out with Silas. Good, good, oh, yeah. And all the prisoners say, what do you mean God's good? Look at the state of you. His circumstances and his worship were at odds with each other. It looked illogical and foolish. Yet he made a decision, we will place God over self. That's a faith decision right now. That in the midst of your prison, God is good. In the midst of your unemployment, God is good. In the midst of your disappointment, God is good. And it's not a wee slogan. It's a confession of real truth and praise. Amen? That's why this is important when we're led in worship. It's not a time filler. It's a life changer. Worship isn't time filler for the main event. Worship is a life changing event. Come on, you with me? All right, here's the second thing I want you to see really quickly about the practice of praise. It enabled them to put God over self. Secondly, it put confession over condition. Yes? Now, look at the detail that Dr. Luke gives us. It's really easy to miss this detail because in this story, we rush to the Instagram moment. The Instagram moment, of course, is Paul and Silas getting out of prison. That's where we're, we're having the selfies together. As he walks out of the prison house, escorted by the magistrates. (laughs) Uh, Do do you understand? That's the moment our eye draws to because that's the get out of jail moment. We like that moment. It's natural. It doesn't make you bad. It makes you human. But if you rush to the get out of jail moment, you miss the detail before that. Look at the detail. Verse 19. They were dragged into the marketplace. Verse 22. They were stripped and beaten. Verse 23. Verse 23. They were severely flogged. Verse 23, they were thrown into prison. Verse 24, they were put into the inner cell. The reason being because the jailer was asked to guard them carefully. Verse 24, their feet were fastened in the stocks. Now, the reason Dr. Luke puts that detail in is because he wants you to see the contrast between their confession and their condition. These men aren't singing praises to God in a five-star penthouse suite. These men are singing praises to God, having had the life beaten out of them. They're in the inner cell, no lights, no heat, no sanitation. Please forgive me. I didn't say this in the first service, but, but this is the reality. If these men wanted to go to the toilet... And yet, they sang praises to God. Wow. And if we can sing praises to God when our feet are fastened to the stocks, there is no spiritual force that can withstand us. It's a power. It's, it's something supernatural. It's not normal. It's not human. It is Supernatural. It is not, uh, uh, as it were, the, the, the routine reaction. It is counterintuitive to everything you know. That's why it's amazing. And, and in the midst of our journey, it, quite incredible, uh, I, I wrote this book. Now, this book is not about our journey. So, this is, this is about the woman who anoints Jesus in Luke 7. And I've wanted to write this book for a few years. And I felt the Holy Spirit asked me to to start writing this book in the midst of all of this. So so this book came out in September 2016. I was given notification I'd lost my job in July 2016. And my son went to court in October 2016. The, The book came out at the worst possible moment. The book was written at the worst possible moment. In the six months or so that it took me to write that book, there wasn't a single day where I wanted to go and write it. Every page, every letter, every word. Can I say this without making myself sound more than I am? Every single page is a confession of God's goodness over the condition I was in. Now, many people will read that book and not know that backstory but that's the backstory. This this book is sort of is, is the equivalent to me and Dawn singing praise to God with our feet in the stocks. Yeah. And let me read you the dedication, because this is this is important. Please forgive the self-indulgence, but hopefully it'll help you. It's dedication of the book, and it says this to my amazing family. Over the last year we have walked together through the valley of the shadow, yet you have continued to love serve, and give extravagantly. Few will understand the cost, but the Lord delights in the perfume. Thank you. Then there's a verse reference there, He blesses the home of the righteous. Now, that's a reference from Proverbs 3. And I felt God gave that to us. So, in our previous home, we got that inscription um, painted or, or put on to our landing. So, as you walk down the stairs that we had, a, we had a picture on the wall, and then under it was this statement, he blesses the home of the righteous, all right? And of course, uh, we put that up when the days were good. Yeah. Now, I'm reading that slogan every day in the midst of this. Uh-huh. And it was like the devil used God's word against me. Wow. You ever had that experience? Where he's using the very promise of God and going, Yeah blesses the home of the righteous. Your son's going to jail. Your son's going to die. Your life is over. Your ministry is over. The whole thing's flushing down the toilet. That's the sort of conversation I was contending with. And every day I would walk down the stairs and I had a decision to make as I looked at Proverbs 3 on the wall. He blesses the home of the righteous. Am I going to confess that? Or am I going to give in to the condition? He blessed. And I would say that some days and I felt nothing as I said it but I knew it was true. He blesses the home of the righteous. And ladies and gentlemen, here's Paul and Silas, and they've got, they've got a decision. They can either complain about the condition, and no one, no one would give them a hard time for that, right? I mean, if Paul and Silas had had a bit of a moan, no one's going to give them pushback right here. But they didn't complain They confessed. Mm. The words that come out of our mouths, ladies and gentlemen, is our choice. God will never force you to praise and the devil can't force you to curse. What I say is what I want to say. That's why the practice of praise becomes crucial. I have to train my mouth To say the right thing, even when the enemy is using that very thing against me. Even when Paul says, God is good, and the prisoners are going, yeah, right, numpty. But it's true, because confession trumps condition every time. That's a spiritual principle. And when we can bring confession to bear on our condition, we're free before we're released. You with me? Here's the last thought, and we're done. We're nearly there. You're amazing listening. One more we thought, and then we're finished. The practice of praise put God over self. The practice of praise, I believe, put confession over condition. Thirdly, the practice of praise placed faith over feelings. It's a big battle. Your feelings and your faith constantly fight each other, don't they? Yes? Yeah. Look at what it says, verse 25, chapter 16, about midnight. It's funny, that little bit of detail is just so important because midnight's a weird time. Yeah. Uh, and in West, in the Western world, not so much the Jewish world, but in the Western world, um, literally midnight is the crossover moment from one day to the next, isn't it? But also, coincidentally, it can be the darkest moment. It, it can feel like We've still got hours before the daylight comes, but yet the other day is finished. And it's like this, we have this weird paradox where I'm crossing into a new day, but it's still dark. Right. Yeah. 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 The new day in the Western world doesn't, doesn't begin with a sunrise. It, it begins with the turning of the clock. Yeah. And so it's dark, but a new day has begun. Right. Yeah. Do you know it's possible to be free uh-huh. before release? And it's possible to move into a new day and still be dark. Come on, it's dark. On. Right, Lord, come on now. I just expected everything like, to change right now. And sometimes it does. Sometimes God comes in and just, poom. does that SAS moment for us. And we believe that. This church would believe that. We believe in the power of God to bring an instant change. Very good. But then there are moments where the clock yeah. ticks over and we think, right, any minute now, the sun's going to start shining and it's still dark. Right. Yeah. And that's where your feelings kick in. Right there. Do you know I've discovered something? When I'm having dinner with wonderful friends and having good food with people I love, uh, you know, time flies. At two o'clock in the morning, when you're trying to digest that curry you shouldn't have had, at 11 o'clock in the evening, time drags. You know, two o'clock to two oh five, it's like a month. Some of you have been there. Some of you have suffered illness where you've literally set up during the night and it's like, when is morning going to happen? It just drags. And in the darkness, fear gets exaggerated and time slows down. Even for good people. Even for spirit-filled, Jesus-following, Bible-believing Christians. Time slows down. And here's what I've discovered. It's in the darkness that my feelings... Kick off. The journey with Simeon over 18 months was was a a bit of a dark valley, but midnight for me, midnight for me, and for Dawn, although Dawn was amazing in this midnight moment, midnight for me was when my son, in as he spiraled into depression, terrible depression. So he went from a vivacious, bright, happy, easy-go-lucky sort of boy, heart and soul of the party, brilliant drummer, to just disappearing. I mean, he just disappeared. It was like the lights were on, but no one was at home. And if you've ever dealt with a relative or yourself with depression, you know what I mean. It was just terrible. He just went to the dark side of the moon. And and he was under medication. He was under a counselor. And we thank God for all of that. It was a tremendous help and support to us. But in the midst of his darkness, to numb the pain of his mind and the fear of his mind by going to jail, he started to cut his body. That was midnight right there. I can't describe to you what it feels like as a dad to see your only son with slashed arms and bandages and a pool of blood on the kitchen floor. Can't, it's hard to describe to you what that feels like. Some of you will know what that feels like. I felt like an abject failure as a man as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor. I felt like, uh, this is how I felt. I said, please don't hear me now. I felt like, felt like the dirt at the bottom of somebody's shoe. I felt like, forgive my French, I felt like crap. That's how I felt. I'd, I loved Dawn with all my heart. She is the best decision I ever made apart from following Jesus. She is an amazing woman. And she was the superhero in this, this moment. In that midnight hour, I was in meltdown. She was amazing. She held the line. She did stuff that we will always be grateful for in those dark moments of midnight when the time of the clock dragged. And I love my wife with all my heart. Can't imagine my life without her. I love my kids. I would die for my kids if I had to. But if someone had have offered me a one-way ticket to Mars, I'm your man. Because my feelings were horrendous. And when feelings kick in, the only response to those feelings, the only response, is not positive psychology. It's not working yourself up. The only response to a feeling like that is truth. It's the only antidote to those feelings. Truth. And I I went back to Psalm 34. I couldn't, couldn't even look at my son's arms. Slashed cut, I went back to Psalm 34, and the Lord reminded me of the word He had given me. Here's what He says in Psalm 34. He protects all His bones. Not one of them will be broken. Now, I I had taken that as a word from God for my family. Uh, Martin quoted in the first service, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in His commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. These are words that God has given me. And I'm looking at my son with slashed arms, lights on, but no one at home, spiraling into depression, and the Word says, not one of your bones will be broken. My feelings are saying, I want out of here. My feelings are saying, I can't take this anymore. My feelings are saying, I can't stomach seeing these terrible scars on my son's arm because I have no clue why he's doing this. That was what my feelings were saying. Get me out of here. But the word said, not one of your bones will be broken. And in those moments where your feelings seek to terrify, you've got to grab the word. Grab it. And it'll make you look a wee bit weird. But you grab it. You believe it. You say, not one of my bones will be broken. And God has been true to that word. Simeon, thank God, was acquitted and uh, a wonderful uh, act of grace and mercy. And I could be here all day telling you that story. He was acquitted. He hasn't self-harmed in about 14 years months or so. He's got a great job. His health has turned, and he's doing really, really well. Maybe one day he'll come with me to CLM, and we are so delighted at the grace of God. And every single day I get up and I say, thank you. Thank you. Not one of your bones will be broken. But there were moments where I thought, God, we're not going to make it. And the Lord would say to me, none of your bones will be broken. Some of you are in the middle, not only of a prison, but midnight. You're literally, it's like, we're dead. And the Lord wants to remind you of His Word, of His promises. Your feelings say, get me out of here. Your feelings say, I'm on the next boat to wherever but the word of the Lord says. And you've got to grab the word, the word over this church, because there'll be moments when the word over this church doesn't look like it's going to work. Grab that word over your kids. Grab the word over your health. Grab the word over your family. Grab the word over your marriage. Grab the word over your heart. Because the devil wants to rip his word, God's word, out of your heart. And if he can rip that word out of your heart, ladies and gentlemen, we're sort of, spiritually, we're sort of dead. It's all over. But when it hit midnight, two men prayed and sang hymns to God. And everything changed. They were free before they were released. A jailer and his family became members of the kingdom of heaven that night. Lives were changed forever. A church got planted and became a beacon of hope to the region. Because two men put God over self. Put confession over condition. Put faith over feelings. Why don't you stand with me? In a moment, I'm going to hand back to Pastor Martin. But I want to pray especially. I didn't do this in the first service. I want to do it in this service. I feel it. It's a slightly different sermon, actually. There are those in the room. And when I say at midnight, your heart responded because that's where you are right now. You're not just in a trial. You're not just having a bad day. You're in midnight. And I have some faith in my heart for those in midnight right now. Yeah. If you're in a midnight moment while we're all standing here, I just want you to put your hands in the air. If it's one person, then it's been worth the journey. Now put your hands in the air in faith. Don't, don't just re- put your hands up as if, as if you are grabbing hold of Him. It's if the Lord was walking past and you're reaching out and you're grabbing him because if he he gets past you, you miss something, grab him. Holy Spirit, the hands in the air right now, may the word of the Lord come afresh to them. May the word of the Lord come to you afresh. Words that have died, fallen asleep, we bring them to life once again. May the word of the Lord come to you again. May faith arise in your heart. May in your midnight moment you pray and sing praise to God. your song change. May your confession change. May your belief change. May your behavior change. Right now in Jesus' name, we ask for a supernatural empowerment of the Word of God, of the presence of God, and of the power of God into your situation. And even if no release comes, you will be free in Jesus' name. It may take four or five or six hours for the release to come. But you will be free right now in the name of Jesus. And a new song will come from your heart. A new confession will come out of your mouth. You will extol the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in your lips. We rebuke the devourer. We rebuke the enemy. We rebuke his lies. We rebuke the feelings. We rebuke the brokenness. And in the name of Jesus, we declare your grace, your love and your power over these circumstances in Jesus' name. May light come in the darkest moment, in Jesus' name.